time in Carson. Love it now. This needs to go into the box. It needs to find an Asheville head. In it goes. Zimmerman's header. It goes all the way past Sapong and it just evades the boot of Hadi Mukhtar. And with that, the whistle goes on this game and on Nashville's third season in Major League Soccer. They're beaten in the first round of the playoffs by the LA Galaxy. All season long, Nashville SC overcame adversity and thrived on the West Coast where the only team to beat them was the Galaxy, but it happened twice. It happened at the end of their epic season opening road trip, and it happened again to end their season. Thanks to iHeartRadio for Tony Husband's final moments of Nashville SC's 2022 campaign. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. And it's brought to you by the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. So it's the first time in three seasons that the Boys in Gold fail to win a playoff match as they drop the 1-0 decision in LA, a 60th minute goal by Julian Araujo. The difference in what was the kind of match, Tim, that Nashville set up for it. A tightly mm-hmm. contested contest as Nashville went away from the four-man back line they employed for the final six games of the regular season. The result, just nine shots, no goals for the first time in 19 games, and only one shot for Hani Mukhtar. Quite frankly, it just wasn't enough for Nashville SC to get the win or really put together much by way of attack. Yeah, they, they did set up very defensively, and, and I think what they didn't expect was that the Galaxy essentially did the same thing. Their game plan emphasized holding the ball, yes, but most importantly, making sure Hani wasn't the one to get the ball, and they did that very successfully. And when you're Nashville SC, you live and die by the production of Hani Mukhtar, and unfortunately, it was it was die this week, and this is a week that that couldn't be the case. Yeah, really unfortunate timing for the boys in gold to, uh, to put together their first scoreless performance uh, in a very long time. Again, 19 matches uh, of, of goals uh, and then the boys in gold dry up and today on club and country of course we'll recap the loss we'll reflect on the season and uh, give a few superlatives the high point the low point the biggest surprise this year the biggest letdown all kinds of uh, mailbag questions for ourselves if you will uh, to talk about before we get to your questions as many of you are already ready tim it, it's the first freeze in nashville overnight here monday <laughs> night uh that means it's hot tim winter yeah, uh, but I said I don't know if you saw the the incredible graphic that I put out on Sunday morning, but no. uh, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it for sure. I'm I'm still kind of in big orange fall right now, but uh, <laughs> at least it could be winter when it comes to the podcast. And I'm stalling right now as I look back. I've got actually you uh, as as a dedicated column in my uh, in my tweet out. <laughs> <laughs> um, my content recommendation, guys, is to go to Club Country USA on Twitter and check out. <laughs> this game of thrones (laughs) game of tim reference i guess uh tim of thrones i don't know uh hot tim and and yes coming yes uh club and country has a very fantastic uh uh, visual artist in mike meredith but i will not i will not claim that mike had any input on this this was mike would certainly not claim this work mike mike is well well above whatever this creation (laughs) is but i love the spirit of it and in the mailbag we'll start talking about the off season we're gonna have lots of episodes again we don't go anywhere when the season ends Uh, it may take a week or two here and there but we are not going away and uh, this is in many ways prime time for us it's our season uh, when all season begins And, and then we'll go outside in and we will talk about the current season that does continue Of course, um, as we record this, NYCFC and Miami are playing just for a reference. So we'll talk about the other four games uh, and uh, a little less about the two that you know the score to and that we don't yet. Uh, It's going to be a packed show, but first club and country is sponsored by ML Rose. Tim, I had a I had two firsts 
I'll talk about one of my firsts in this segment, and then we talk about MLROs a little later. I'll talk about my other first. Um, my I cried in MLROs for the first time on, uh, on Saturday oh, night. Finally, geez, Wes, I can't I know, believe it, it took, took this long. <laughs> and I had only had a couple of drinks over a couple hours, so it wasn't even a result of of my typical whiskey sadness. It was watching <laughs> the ball uh, knuckle through the uprights for Tennessee to beat Alabama for the first time since uh, senior year of college. Uh, so three years, right? That's how long it had been. That's what we say. <laughs> and I, um, I hugged three strangers after apologizing in advance to the bartender. I said, if this fuel goal goes through, I apologize in advance for hugging strangers in your bar. And I only hugged strangers that were also screaming at the game, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and then I just kind of doubled over and shed a couple tears for a huge win because now Tim, uh, it's hot Tim winner for you. For me, this is a college football podcast. We'll admit that it's a college football podcast all too often, but, but, but uh, yeah, I can only imagine how, how different the day job would be if Hendon Hooker's career had turned out a little bit differently, but uh, that's a story for another day. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys experienced that at ML Rose. It was, it was not the first time I know that, that people have cried in ML Rose, even though it was the first time that you have cried in ML Rose. And, and some of that, some of that is because is because the sad whiskeys do exist, but some of it is because of the, the pure joy that, that sports can bring us. And I know for, for many people, including a lot of people who found ML Rose through listening to this podcast, it's because of the bright moments that Nashville SC has been able to bring them uh, you know, watching from from when the team is on the road and, and you don't have uh, that that Geodas Park experience to go to, ML Rose is the place to go. Uh, there was a great piece written again about this UT Alabama game, but I'll relate it back to to our topic at hand. Uh, Alex Kirshner uh, wrote for Slate, just writing for Slate. He hosts the Split Zone Duo College Football Podcast and has become a friend. Um, partially because my company gives him money. So <laughs> whatever, I bought my friend, I guess. But he actually referenced referenced me in this late article anonymously talking about how I didn't I, you know, I didn't want to buy the cigar until we'd won the game because I didn't have the guts uh, to do it beforehand and, and jinx things. But, but the point of the article was that for the vast majority of college football teams, and again, and indeed for the vast majority of MLS teams, you know, a championship is not attainable every season, right? Even if that's what you hope for, it's that sense of community and it's beating teams you hate that truly bring the reward. And I think that applies certainly to, to what happened for Michigan against Penn State uh, and a big one for, for your that's uh, old, that's old hat blue. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> that's old hat beating Penn State. Well, yeah, <laughs> but still fun. Uh, really, uh, hundreds of thousands united in relief that that continued, I guess, for you guys and a euphoria that, that Bama's streak did not. Uh, but but ML Rose is the source of, of much of that community. And even as soccer season ends, uh, certainly a lot of special moments. Yeah, ML Rose season forward. continues. ML Rose season is is contiguous with Hot Tim Winter now. <laughs> it's a direct relationship there, for sure. Um, but we won't let animals in from Tim's Game of Thrones design. So you're safe there. Um, except for dogs on the patio, by the way, which they do allow. That was one of my two firsts. I'll get to my other first at ML Rose. Um it, it was it was a culinary choice that was a unique one that I am glad I made. Uh, but up next, we'll go to the early shout. Costa onto his left foot, thinks about the cross, checks for a moment. Grand Sear outside him, right footed ball, deep into the box and headed in. Araujo is arriving. And the Mexican international has broken the deadlock on the hour. And Nashville are behind in the playoffs. Julian Araujo etches his name in Nashville SC's Book of Demons alongside Daryl DK, Pedro Santos, Maxi Morales, 
guys who have scored key goals or in DK's case, just a lot of goals uh, <laughs> against uh, the boys in gold. He provided the winner in the 60th minute. You heard it there, courtesy of Tony Husband and iHeartRadio. And Tim, unfortunately for Nashville, even though they had the front foot for the final 30 minutes chasing the game, they just never really provided a significant threat in response. Yeah, over the course of the game, the teams were essentially even in XG, like almost on a minute-by-minute basis. The one difference was the goal itself. And after the goal, the teams basically remained even as they kind of stepped up the ladder and expected goals. And that's not what you want to see when you're the team that's trailing. Um, Once Araujo scored, there wasn't a ton going on to respond. That's not to say Nashville was completely listless. They had a few chances, but they didn't have any sort of golden moments that you really kind of need, especially on the road. Let's, uh, let's get to the formation. Let's get to the look that Nashville employed. And we're going to uh, do that by bringing up Logan's question that many of you, I think, asked as well and, and talked about even as soon as the lineup came out. Nashville opted to go five at the back and bench Schaffelberg for the start of the game. He says, it looked to me that Leal was somewhat out of position too in midfield. Personally, he says, I feel like this was abandoning what made the team click for the best stretches of the season. Do you all agree? Or do you see it as well-reasoned pragmatism giving the Galaxy's attacking talent and home field advantage. And I will say this, I actually met Logan for some Arsenal watching uh, <laughs> downtown uh, on a work day here recently. And uh, he apologized for not having a good question lately. Uh, he's got a great question here that, again, I think many of you are asking. And Tim, I'll let you have the first take at, at answering it. Yeah, it's definitely pragmatism uh, <laughs> to, to, to get to the very last part of, of Logan's question there. It's definitely pragmatism. Is it good pragmatism? That might be a different question. I, I thought it was bad. Uh, the team played a back five to start the year because they didn't feel like there was a reliable right fullback. And then they signed that guy in Shaq Moore and they went to a back four the rest of the way when Shaq was available, when they had healthy center backs available. That was their go-to formation. And to go away from that for the playoffs seems it's reasonable to go on the road and play that way. But it seems like a miscalculation. You want to do what you've been repping for weeks at a time. I understand the why. Nashville has had road success as a bunker counter team. And in the playoffs, uh, the bunker means you don't get beat. And the counter means you might be able to find a winner over the course of the 90 minutes or 120 minutes. It, it, it seems far too apt to misfire, to completely change your identity, though. And it doesn't put your best players in their positions to make the most difference. I think, um, you know, Logan mentioned Leal playing slightly out of position. I don't think his his position was quite as bad. He was still able to get wide and do some of the things that he's good at. But like you mentioned, Schaffelberg on the bench is not something that you want to see. You don't want to see some of these guys playing uh, with relationships that are slightly different than the ones that they're used to playing with in terms of, of how the spaces play out in front of them. And that's something that it just seemed like they never quite found that rhythm because they were doing something different than they're used to. I completely agree with you. I think in, in the realm too, of being able to understand and explain the decision, but still disagree with it. And I think the biggest point of disagreement I have is that you're taking your two biggest midseason additions and you're putting them in places where they're not set up to succeed. Shaq Moore, of course, playing wing back, which and he can one play. Of which is, one of which is on the bench. <laughs> yeah. and, and on the bench is the other one. Exactly. <laughs> you got where I was going there, for sure. And, you know, my, my take there is that the Galaxy actually hadn't shut out a team in 13 matches. They're yeah. vulnerable defensively. Uh, I understand that, that two of Nashville's dreariest attacking performances came against Galaxy in those first two meetings. And so perhaps they thought, look, you know, we've won five games away from home in a three slash five in the back, including the last time they tried it in Vancouver, three nil, thanks to a Jack Mayer breaks, which might not exactly be replicable, but but they did it. So I, I think I see the logic there. And yet to me, you you be you should become more of what you have been mm-hmm. and and go for it, knowing this galaxy defense is vulnerable and knowing galaxy's probably gonna get a goal. You can't necessarily hang on against this galaxy team and expect 
a scoreless draw or play for that. And Steve Guppy uh, filling in for, for Gary Smith, who was ill, said, we weren't trying to be negative. This is what we thought gave us the best chance. Maybe not negative. Maybe that's too strong a word, but it certainly wasn't the most positive approach they could have mm-hmm. employed. I don't often disagree with Gary Smith tactically, but I think in this case, I would have gone more aggressive for sure. I disagree with him at times, but, but understand it. And I understand it this time, but I'm, I'm more disagreeable than I often am. But I think uh, it was very kind of Steve Guppy to, to not throw Jack Mayer under the bus for failing to score a brace this time around. So that's very gracious. Well, you just ruined my biggest disappointment of the season that Mayer didn't put forth the brace in his next road start. Uh, let's get to the to final numbers from the match, and then we'll move on, wipe that clean, and start talking a bit about offseason. Uh, and those will be our gold nuggets today, these final, final numbers from uh, the loss. It's Nashville's lowest XG since... The first loss to the Galaxy, 0.6 this time around. It was just above 0.1 in that first Galaxy meeting on the road, a late night affair toward the end of that long road trip. So two of Nashville's three lowest XG performances, Tim, of the year come against the Galaxy. What did you see them do tactically? Was it something beyond Nashville setting up as they did? Was there something mm-hmm. Galaxy did so well, especially against Hani Mukhtar? Yeah, there wasn't a ton. It was just deny Hani the ball is almost like your your man marking one guy uh, sometimes just to make sure that he's not the one to beat you, even if it means somebody else does. The other thing was they controlled the ball a lot. And some of that is because Nashville was willing to let them control the ball. Nashville wanted to draw LA Galaxy forward so that they could hit on the counter. The one thing that Galaxy did was not get exposed on the counter. And that's, uh, you know, when Nashville's game plan is let's hit them on the counter and Galaxy says we are not going to get hit on the counter. That's a problem for Nashville in terms of scoring. And when you're letting the Galaxy dominate the ball without kind of the payoff that you expect to get for that, that's that's an issue, obviously. And then w- once the Galaxy scored, they went to a five-man back line. And on a day where Nashville just didn't have those sorts of connections as cleanly as they have, it was curtains. There wasn't a ton NSC was going to do to break it down. Yeah, it was, it was rough to see Nashville go behind. They were one and five this year. Uh, I think maybe on the road uh, is what that was when, when going behind first. Uh, they had actually gone ahead in seven of their last eight on the road. And so you kind of feel like that would be the measuring stick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this season, uh, going back to this Galaxy um, trio of matches, Nashville managed 22 total shots uh, in those three contests against LA, that that average of just over seven per, uh, per game, the lowest of any Western Conference opponent that Nashville faced. We've talked about tactics and we've talked some obviously about kind of the setup the shape what about the personnel no Schaffelberg at the outset due to the change in shape Shaq more playing wing back we've talked about those things Anunga in for Dax which you would imagine was just tired legs for the captain after traveling cross country here so recently um, on a ball good probably not fit to go the full 90 and so Anunga gets the start there instead I, I'll, I'll ask this question knowing we've kind of covered this ground a little bit but just to give you one final chance to shed whatever light you can on it was this just a case of Gary Smith and Steve Guppy just deciding there weren't going to be many chances because those other two matches were so cagey and just deciding, Hey, look, not going to put forth 15, 20 shots. Let's just tighten things up on the other end. Yeah. I, I, I guess Logan's question is, is when I kind of answered, I think the part that, that most hits this question, which is the underlying thought was do not lose the game because if you don't lose the game in the playoffs, at the very least, you're going to penalty kicks. The issue is that it's been a recipe for, for road success for Nashville SC, and it's, it's made them one of the better road teams this year and, and over the course of their three years in MLS. But, but NSC has largely found success being somewhat conservative on the road, but being willing to go out and say, okay, here's where we're going to take our chance to get forward. And they weren't set up in a way that allowed them to do that. I think that was the biggest issue is that when you have this, this 
three, four, three, or, or three, five, two sort of hybrid formation that they have, you need to make the most of your chances. And they, they weren't set up in a way, whether that's personnel wise, or whether that's just Hani Mukhtar having an off day, they weren't able to take advantage when the opponent is able to score, when you're set up to uh, above all else, not let them. It's not, it's not going to be your day more often than not. Yeah, it has that um, demoralizing effect. In addition to putting you down on the scoreboard, you feel like you're down more goals than that when your plan has not come to fruition. Uh, final gold nugget, the 1.6 combined XG between Nashville and Galaxy, the lowest combined output in Major League Soccer of any game since September 17th, so almost a month of matches when Atlanta and Philly played to a scoreless draw. Galaxy's 1 XG, its lowest total at home this season. So you could argue that, that Nashville's defense did its job pretty decently uh, and again, the attack just couldn't do its part. And speaking of that defense, Jack Mayer's emergence this season, I would say, was what gave the staff enough confidence to start a playoff match alongside David Walker in that three-man center back core. In my opinion, at least, I don't think we have to strain too terribly hard to see a world in which Walker is poached by a European team in the offseason after a strong World Cup performance. You know, regardless of, of personal circumstances, it, you know, this would be his chance to make a jump to Europe if he has a strong World Cup. And if so, you're looking at a Jack Mayer as somebody who could potentially become the heir apparent there. Yeah, both Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith have said, okay, our young center backs are Jack Mayer as the Walker heir apparent. And then you have a Med Longmeyer as the hopeful down the road. Uh, obviously, he has yet to make a significant contribution for this team as the Dave Romney heir apparent. So that that's definitely the the longer term plan here. I, I just don't feel like Zimmerman's going anywhere. He's got a young family. Um, his extended family is just a, a few hours driving away. He's got a lifestyle and and probably a paycheck that he's not going to find outside the country. It's it's clear that Mayer is the real deal. And if Zimmerman um, has a huge World Cup and you know Arsenal comes calling, so he can play with Matt Turner, uh, they can be <laughs> they can be reunited after winning the World Cup. Yes, there's a situation where if Zimmerman were to have those opportunities, you would not begrudge him those, and you would have your replacement in place. But it's a situation that I think, given Walker's age, uh, I don't, I don't know if he's 29 yet, but he's he's getting up there. He has that one last chance to get over with a big World Cup, but he's also at an age where he says, if that hasn't been my dream, as you know, my whole life to go play it for a specific team or in a specific league, I don't necessarily need that. I have the money, I have the lifestyle that I already need. Mm -hmm. And and I will say this too, bringing the scenario up is purely a hypothetical. This is not reporting. This is not sources indicate. <laughs> Although I will say, I think, I think that the blue and orange team in Glasgow should, should pick him up. Um, so it could be Walker, Glasgow Ranger. Oh God. It's been too long since we've had one of these, one of and, these situations. Wes. And we'll talk about the low point of the season in a minute. That was the low point of the, <laughs> the, point of the podcast. That remember. was it. That was the Nadir uh, high point of the season. Then let's, let's get into these superlatives. The, the, the best moment this year for Nashville SC. Um, I'll answer my own question first, then we'll rotate order um, and pretend these aren't already pre-written out on a rundown. Um, I think the high point of the season for me is the win over Austin, the MVP showdown. Nashville streaking. It was their fourth straight win, a dominant performance. It was the last home win of the year. Honey makes his strongest case for MVP and probably tips the scales his direction there. And I think personally, Tim, for me at least, that that is the highlight of the season. And and from there, it kind of it, it declined a little bit. That was that was the plateau. 
Yeah, that's a very reasonable one. And and had you not filled out the rundown first, it may have been my choice. <laughs> but uh, for me, for me, it's beating LAFC on decision day. Um, it wasn't the prettiest game, but that's that's part of why I think it was a high point for this team. It embodied a lot of what this club is supposed to be about: grit and opportunism, kind of in the face of of you know a, a million a multi million dollar deficit in terms of roster spend. You go out and you win because you want the game more. Um, because Joe Willis saves a penalty because Joe, Joe Willis has an incredible game. But, uh, you know, as you see what Nashville did on that day and you kind of imagine let's let's continue to build upon that with even higher dollar signings down the road. You can see a really high ceiling for this team. And I think that that's what makes it a high point. Not not for every team, but the way Nashville wants to be it makes it a high point. I like it right on uh, from that to the low point of the year. Um Tim, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, to, to me, it's it's the loss to Houston on the penultimate day of the regular season, not least of which because it was the last chance for fans to see Nashville SC at home. And and that game was what made it the last chance to see Nashville SC at home as well. A win there, Nashville would have finished third in the West ultimately with a home playoff game, um, you know, potentially with a second home playoff game. Obviously, we, we have seen that that wouldn't have been the case anyway with, with Austin beating uh, RSL over the weekend. But th- this was against the worst, maybe not maybe not the worst record, but the worst quality team in the conference. And they just went out and laid a complete egg with everything on the line. That's, that's a tough one. Vancouver, San Jose, Sporting Kansas City, Toronto, drop points at home uh, against... <laughs> teams that didn't end up making the playoffs, I think was, was a big story of the season for this team. And so, as you say that the LAFC high point is representative in many ways of what this club was. On Am the I road. suffering from recency bias? I don't, but I, <laughs> the last two games the of the regular two. season. Well, but, but those are the chances to make your final, your closing arguments. Right. Yeah. And I think Nashville did with the road win that typified what it did on the road. And, and it did with that home loss and what typified some of what it did before it figured things out at home. Mm-hmm. And I think that certainly is, is so disappointing because you thought they were past those speed bumps and yeah. uh, a reminder that in major league soccer, there were always going to be more speed bumps ahead for any team <laughs> uh, in this league, a surprise of the season. I, I think for me, it's Jacob Schaffelberg's impact. He comes in and people are like, all right, even, even the, you know, the technical staff, they're speaking about him in, in positive terms, but making clear publicly and privately, we don't expect him to transform things. We expect him to contribute. We expect him to be a nice piece to add who fits what we need to do. And then Nashville scores 11 goals in his first three starts. He scores two of those. Uh, he's an integral part of changing what this attack does when it moves to the Shaq Moore formation, the the four four two or the four two three one. Uh, I think that's an amazing surprise. Uh, Of course, he's also now a friend of the show. uh, And so we're plugging that as well. But I think he is a revelation and uh, we would expect to see him continue to play in gold for years to come. Yeah, my uh, my surprise is going to take us all the way back to July 19th. Uh, It's something that nobody saw coming. Uh, Nashville SC sends out a press release uh, at hold on. Let me me see what time they sent it out at 8.59 a.m. No, nobody saw this coming. Uh, Nashville SC signs United States men's national team defender Shaquel Moore. Did anybody see this coming? Did anybody <laughs> talk about this on every episode of their podcast since I think last Christmas? Definitely not. <laughs> Huge surprise. It was the Sean Davis move. Um, all well, the Sean Davis one we were actually surprised by because we didn't think it was going to happen, even though it would have been perfect. We just forecast it. We, yeah. well, we, we yeah. talked about it for months, but we talked about it as, yeah, Nashville yeah. should do that. And then they did. Yeah. Check more. We talked about it. You talked about it as Nashville SC is doing this. Just wait for it. And, uh, and then it happened. All right. Let down of the season. 
Tim, take the take the low hanging fruit here. Yeah, it's it's Ake Arno Loba. Uh, I was probably one of his one of his most critical uh, haters last year. Uh, often responding to the "Why doesn't he play more?" crowd with something along the lines of "Because Gary Smith has watched him play and and therefore has determined he doesn't need more playing time." But I I did enter the season having hope that the, the David Goss theorem would bear some fruit in a guy who came last year midseason out of shape, having to learn a new culture. And he had to communicate in his second language, which was not the first language of his coaches or most of his teammates. Um, he's a native French speaker who had to speak in Spanish because he's uh, you know, spent five or six years in Mexico and, and therefore could communicate with some of his teammates in that language. I thought he might have the opportunity to take off once he got used to all that stuff. It was unfortunately clear early on. This was not going to happen. Um, that doesn't soften the disappointment. You know, we, people, the main reason people were asking why he doesn't play more is because of the dollar signs next to his name. And, and those dollar signs are the reason for the disappointment because you see what could have been, um, you see what signings that have that sort of dollar sign attached to them have resulted in, in this league in the past. And it just didn't happen. And that could have been a game changer for Nashville SC if it had. Yeah. And just a moment, we'll ask a, we'll answer a question about his potential future with the club. Uh, for me, I'll stick at the striker spot and say, uh, no CJ goals after late May. It was hard to fathom that when he scored in Colorado and that big win right before international break, that he wouldn't find the back of the net again for the team. He, he is traditionally a streaky player and you, you expect and accept that he's going to have droughts, but this was the longest drought of his career. And the reason he kept playing by the way, valid, completely legitimate was, and we talked about it as soon as last week was that what he did away from the ball or what he did away from goal at least was was still crucial for this team and crucial in the season that Hani Mukhtar ended up having, but you would have hoped he could have poured in at least three or four key goals down the stretch. And it looked like his confidence. I don't want to speak for somebody's mentality. He, he missed opportunities that he might've made uh, in the waning moments of the season uh, as a result, I think of just not being in form. And we've seen CJ when he's hot is as good as, as any striker in this league. And it was disappointing. And we're disappointed on his behalf that he wasn't able to, to find the back of the net at least a couple more times for Nashville. It could have been transformative for the team. And uh, what is transformative uh, for my uh, my game-watching experience, of course, is Emil Rose. Tim, I, I promised, uh, and nobody really cared about the tease, but I promised a, <laughs> a second a first for me, a second first, not a 21st. And that was that I had a salad at ML Rose, which I'd never Ooh. done before. Uh, I got the Thai peanut chicken salad. And the reason was simple. I needed something that was going to be easy on my stomach because I was nauseous watching the UT Alabama game. This was <laughs> early fourth quarter. Things were not going well uh, for the volunteers. Did you guys know I'm a Tennessee fan, by the way? I don't know if anybody's <laughs> aware of that. And I, I said, I told the waitress, I was like, Thai peanut chicken salad. I need something easy. I was thinking about wings. I can't, I can't do that. I'd had the loaded fries. They were great. Again, pretty neutral, very tasty, but not like spicy or strong. Uh, it was really good. It was a big salad and it's that like fresh shaved chicken uh, with the, the peanut sauce that had a, actually a bit of a kick to it, which was really good without being overpowering. Good cut up lettuce, cut up just how I like it. Not the huge iceberg wedges you can't get your mouth around. It was really good. It was great. I highly recommend the Thai peanut chicken salad. It was, it was great. I had it with a cider and I also thought I want to order something that I would risk never ordering again at this place because it could be associated <laughs> with a brutal, devastating loss. And now I think every time I go back to watch a game, Tim, I'm going to have to get the, the, the Thai salad and, and the uh, cider because it worked. That was the reason to see beat Alabama. A positive of, of not getting wings is that if you are somebody who drinks your nerves watching a game, 
you have to like use your palms to get the <laughs> glass up to your mouth. You can't use your fingertips anymore. So a salad, something that that you must eat with a utensil is a very good choice. There, even a sandwich sometimes can be a little yeah. greasy as you as you try and grab your glass as as you go to uh, settle the nerves during a game a little bit. But um, you know, all of all of the choices at ML Rose, I think, uh, go very well with with a. a a little bit of a nervous drink, I would say. If you're going there to watch a Nashville SC game, uh, unfortunately, you won't be able to do that again until February. But if you're going to, to watch a Nashville SC game, uh, anything on the menu will go with the, with the drink that you're going to uh, use to settle those nerves a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And one thing about the nerves, too, and then we'll move on to the nail bag. Uh, the bartenders got it. Like, oh, yeah. I, not that I was subtle about my investment in the game. I, I, should, <laughs> I should make clear. And there were others, too. I wasn't the only one. And I'm not screaming like, you know, cussing out the refs or anything. I'm screaming at them, though. And so they would they pick their moments to come talk to me. And I'm always going to be gracious to them, right? Like, I'm not one of those who transfers that anger to them. I'm always going to be kind to them. But they knew, like, all right, it's a big moment. I'll wait till commercial to ask of you once more. And uh, I told them, look, if you keep if I keep ordering a beer every time you ask me, I'm going to drink my feelings and that's not going to go well for anybody. So I kept <laughs> it low key. But they were they were awesome. They were completely sympathetic. They know exactly how to handle a sports watcher. Uh, so highly recommend ML Rose for whatever your sport, not just for Nashville SC. Let's move on to the mailbag now. John Mueller, what are reasonable or unreasonable expectations for the offseason? He says, I'm sure we want every issue addressed, but solving everything in one offseason seems like too much to ask him. Yeah, one of the hallmarks of this club, and and I would say a, a major contributor to the success, uh, whether you love it or hate it, is the consistency. Um, I wouldn't expect whole, wholesale changes for that reason. Upgrades at a few key positions. I, striker is an obvious one. We just both roasted Ake Loba a little bit and and understood CJ Sapong struggles a little bit, but that is a position that did not perform like it needed to this past year. But for the most part, the way this club has found success is by having guys remain familiar with each other, by having some consistency across the roster. And I know some of these guys are getting a little bit older. Uh, some of them may might catch us one day <laughs> in age. I, I'm sure it's bound to happen, but it is a situation where it's more about kind of infilling behind some of these guys, essentially other than the striker position, rather than trying to replace starting players. As I just told everybody a few minutes ago, I'm just like three years removed from college because that's how long <laughs> the Alabama streak was over Tennessee, I promise. Yeah, I think you know, it's like renovating a house, right? If you renovate your foundation every year, you are Miami or Cincinnati, <laughs> although now they're both hanging on. So maybe I can't say that. I, I think you know it, it's about those incremental improvements, right? And taking something that is you know skewing weak and making it skewing strong. And I think for me, you mentioned striker, but also... Central midfield, uh, Dax Nonaval continue to contribute, of course, and be vital members of this club off the pitch. Uh, there may be an opportunity to address that age in central midfield, though, alongside Sean Davis. And that's what they did last year, bringing in Sean. And we said, ah, man, Sean, uh, you know, you played every minute last year. Are you going to be okay with sitting? Yeah, he led the team in minutes this year. Didn't play every minute, <laughs> but he led Nashville SC in minutes. Um, played, I believe he played the full 90 in that, in that LA Galaxy loss to close it out to. Uh, I think I think continuing to incrementally improve that midfield by looking at ways to and, and maybe Anunga stays around or maybe that's a situation where you're bringing an MLS vet to, to do what he's been doing, um, not targeting any one person there. But I think there, there's opportunity in central midfield uh, along with striker. I think those are the two biggest questions for me. Yeah, I, I think even if even if um, if you say that Brian Anunga is kind of the Godoy replacement like Davis would be you know, style-wise, uh, a Dax replacement. Even if you think those guys are, are going to kind of, you know, step up and be the the every game players, whereas the veterans step back, you need depth 
to, to continue for future years as well. You need to build for the future so that if and when uh, Dax or Anibal retires, you don't suddenly not have a backup for the guys who have stepped up to replace them too. Justin Belial, what are the odds of Kentucky going into Neyland and stealing a win? Get to that in a minute. Uh, but more importantly, on the striker subject, who are some targets Nashville could reasonably go after for a striker slash number nine? Uh, Kentucky terrifies me, by the way. Uh, not <laughs> not so much the team themselves, but the fact that they've got a good quarterback and could be a trap game for a Tennessee team that's bound to slip up at least once in the game it's supposed to win. Anyway, uh, back, we're not yet a college football podcast. Um, Tim, <laughs> not I told exclusively, you. exclusively, at least. Not exclusively, of course. If I told you that Jossie Zardes was coming to Nashville on a one-year deal with a club option for a second, again, not reporting this, just hypothetical, how would you react? A a one-year deal, club option for a second, at a club-friendly price for a veteran who wants to to stick in the league. What do you think? Zardes to Nashville? Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think my issue with it would be that you're getting – a version of CJ Sapong that's just a little less than what CJ is. I think if CJ had gotten the chances Jassy has gotten uh, to play, you know, under striker whisperer Greg Berhalter, which sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but in MLS, his strikers have always had huge outputs. Hmm. Um, if he had had the chances when he was was younger to play with the U.S. men's national team like Jassy has, I think he would ha- he would have the the reputation and and maybe some of the <laughs> some of the weak parts of the reputation that Jassy has. So. Yeah, I, I, I like CJ a lot as a player and, and therefore like Giassi as a player. He's a couple of years younger, like I mentioned. So I wouldn't have a problem with it. I just don't think that you are necessarily upgrading a whole lot either. Dardis, 10 goals this year uh, coming over from Columbus to Colorado in uh, in midseason. Uh, other MLS free agent strikers and forwards are going to be out of contract. And this is not an exhaustive list of players who'd be available to Nashville, of course, via trade, uh, but also uh, through guys who aren't eligible for free agency, but would be out of contract. I just took from the free agency list. Uh, Zardes, Ola Kamara, um, others with club options, Danny Hooson, no thanks. Uh, Diego Rubio, actually, in Colorado. Going to be some changes there, uh, potentially. Again, club options, so they could they could keep yeah. him around. Darwin Quintero, Kai Kamara, Ramel Kyoto, Tesho Akindele, Corey Burke, Daniel Shallowy. Not all those guys are strikers. Some of those are, are wings. But any names in that grab bag, whether or not striker or wing, will expand the premise of the question. Anybody there that might stand out or anybody else who you think Nashville could or should pursue? Yeah, I really like Kyoto a lot. I don't know if he would be a great fit in Nashville, but I like him as a player. Corey Burke is a really interesting one because he's a lot. He's he's the style of player that is perfect for Nashville. The issue yeah. is if you try and do business with the union, I think he's still with the union, right? <laughs> if he you is. try to do business with the union, uh, they're going to get the better end of the deal there. And it's going to be a problem for you is, is the one <laughs> issue uh, monetarily. Of course, Nashville's uh, done some pretty good business that they have a nice war chest built up anyway. Um, Shallowy is a guy who, you know, when healthy, when in form can, can be an outstanding player comes from a, a a club that has a lot of, of connections to the way Nashville wants to build its roster and the way Nashville wants to play with its roster. But um, yeah, I think, I think there are some good options there, but you know, my, my preference would be is uh, looking to the global market. You don't need to get a a $20 million striker, but I do think you need to go out and uh, pay a transfer fee to, to land a guy that you believe the transfer fee is, is proof of concept that he is going to score goals. We'll talk about Loba in a minute, but maybe there there's your possibility, right? To offload Loba, mm-hmm. do you exercise your one time buyout each year, uh, free up the DP spot, or Tim is shaking his head. So let's let's go ahead and go to the Aki Loba <laughs> question then. So Jonathan asks, what's going to happen to Aki Loba? Tim, you're shaking your head. So tell me what what's your what's your speculation there? 
Ake, Ake is on a low enough salary number that he doesn't have to be a DP anymore now that his transfer fee <clears throat> transfer fee is off the books. So that's a situation where you don't have to get rid of the guy to, to have a DP spot opened up. I think if Nashville were to get rid of him, it would be more of a uh, a sale. They would lose money in the exchange. They paid, uh, what was it, $6.8 million for him or something like that. They would not sell him for that amount of money based on the past year and a half that he's had. But if you cut your losses free up some money, free up that DP spot without having to use a, a, a target out a targeted allocation money buy down. That's worth it. Um, I don't think using your, your off season buyout on him makes sense. There are, are, are honestly other places that you could probably use your off season buyout that make a little bit more sense. Rodrigo Pinheiro has not played for Nashville essentially ever. And he's been on loan this entire season. So the, there are situations that you could use that off season buyout on that make a little bit more sense than Loba, but for the boys in gold, you you probably aren't going to use him as an every game striker. You can reduce him to a guy who seems more monetarily efficient for a guy who's not an every game striker, or you can try to move him along. But I don't I don't think the buyout is is probably the way that makes the most sense given what the rest of the roster looks like. My expectation would be whatever the mechanism, we don't see Ake Lobo play in gold again. That that's my again pure pure. It wouldn't um, it wouldn't surprise me unless unless there's they could restructure to to not have to pay him nearly as much as he makes now for sure. So on that subject, Sean White asks which players aren't returning next season and why. Yeah, that, that there's one right there <laughs> that, that seems fairly obvious, right? I think um, Eric Miller is out of contract after this year. He's been on a, a series of of one year extensions uh, going into 2021, and then going again going into this year. I think there's a situation where Nashville SC really likes him as a player. Actually, I think fans have a, a misguidedly low opinion of him. I do, however, think that Nashville SC can get that same production at a cheaper dollar point. And then I think you look around and see guys who haven't played a whole lot. And, uh, you know, it, I always feel a little, a little grimy <laughs> naming yeah. names. But, yeah. but dudes who haven't played a whole lot, and especially those who are, who are making a little bit more money, are, are the ones that you look at Nashville and a, a money ball situation is not. There's a God stat that, that, gives you, that gives you who's going to win the World Series for you. It's let's make the most with our dollar. And there are some situations to clear up dollars without clearing out a ton of production. And I'll give you names of people who are under club options, just so we're aware. Uh, Bunbury and Sapong are uh, the big names I wonder about. Also on that list, uh, Dax McCarty and Alex Mwil. So some possibilities. There. I'm not saying those guys are out. I'm saying those are guys who are, are you know, going to have decisions. Club's going to have decisions about their futures here, here fairly soon. Most important question of the mailbag from Trevor. Michigan versus Tennessee in the national championship. Hey, both of our teams are undefeated. We've talked about how this is already unofficially a, a college football podcast. No, not the national championship, though, because uh, the Vols are going to be number one, of course, and Michigan is <laughs> going to be number four. And so it's going to be a playoff semifinal game. And I'd like to propose that the winner gets Charles Woodson's Heisman that should have gone to Peyton Manning in the first place. Just saying. And or Hinden Hooker, once he wins it, can just parade it in front of the Michigan <laughs> section and say, hey, we each got one now. Yeah. Uh my uh my opinions on Philip Fulmer's conduct in the aftermath of Peyton Manning justifiably not winning the Heisman in nineteen ninety-seven will, will remain will remain uh un, unspoken here. But it's always important to remember that the priority is that everybody goes, tries their best, and has fun. That's so exactly if Michigan and Tennessee football, yeah. face each other in the playoff. That's that's all I really hope for. There's going to be a big ML Rose bet riding on this, actually, <laughs> if that actually does happen. And by the way, I, I would never 
deem to actually tell you that I expect Tennessee to be number one. Uh, we're going to lose three <laughs> times this year, and it's going to be heartbreaking. That's that's my official stance. I hope I'm wrong. I pick against us every week, and so far it's working out. So we'll see. Uh, on to outside in now and uh, the playoffs. In a foot race, Cincinnati plays this across. Vasquez with the finish. Brandon Vasquez gives Cincinnati the two to one lead. That uh, Brandon Vasquez winner, courtesy of Steve Cangelosi and MSG, not the additive in Chinese food, but the <laughs> television network. Tim, give me the alternate history by which Nashville keeps now playoff game winning Brandon Vasquez in the expansion draft. Yeah, uh, obviously when Nashville SC picked him in the expansion draft from Atlanta United, it was with a deal uh, verbally agreed to with FC Cincinnati to to fleece FC Cincinnati of of some of their uh, allocation money. Um, But uh, the reality of the situation is Vasquez also didn't contribute his first two years with Cincinnati. He hadn't contributed previously with Atlanta. I am extremely happy for the way he's playing now. Nashville absolutely could have used the way he's playing now this year. But if if in the expansion draft they had picked up a guy that wasn't going to contribute for two years, it probably would have been a bit of an issue. Yes, they had Daniel Rios. Yes, um, they picked up guys that also didn't contribute, like Abu Dunladi, who was injured basically the whole time, uh, like uh, Don Baji, who was injured for some of the time and then was traded. But Vasquez is a guy who who wouldn't have contributed in, in that time. And if were he contributing now, it would be great. I don't know that he would have gotten the chance with Nashville SC even this year, even the way um, Nashville wasn't getting striker from the score, scoring from the striker position, not striker from the scoring position. Um, they weren't getting scoring from the striker position. I, you know, I kind of hesitate to to expect that he would have even gotten a, a huge chance then. Yeah. He would have had to prove himself in really limited chances over the past three years to get the chance he has for FC Cincinnati, uh, whether that's whether that's right or wrong. And I obviously think it would have been wrong to not give Brandon Vasquez a chance, but the reality is it would have been tough to give him a chance. So yes, Nashville would have been better in 2022 than had they, um, you know, traded him for, I think it was $150,000 in allocation money. I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but uh, the way, the way the first two years played out, I think they probably got what they needed with that allocation money in those years. Um, so those two years, you know, those two years featured a playoff win and this one it didn't. So uh, Vasquez make, could have made that huge impact in year three, but the first two years might have taken a little bit of a sacrifice for it. Yeah, it's a fun hypoth- hypothetical that in no way suggests culpability on Nashville's part uh, for, for doing yeah. that. For all we know, their eyes weren't even cast the direction of Vasquez until Cincinnati said, hey, we'll give you some al- assets if you pass them straight along. But it is a fun hypothetical to play with. And, yeah. and, and I, agree I, with you. I, think- I really like Vasquez as a player. I don't want yeah. that to come off as negative. I would no, have, no, no. have loved for Nashville to, to, to have him, but I, I doubt that Nashville would have would have seen what they had because Atlanta didn't see what they had. Right. In hindsight, we now see that Atlanta doesn't see a whole lot of things. Well, and when you but, have but, Lucho, but Cincinnati, but Cincinnati was like begging for the guy. And I think we saw what the previous administration at Cincinnati was in terms of competence <laughs> as well. So who knows? Hey, they made one good move. Uh, and, and, you know, when you have a Lucho Acosta, when you have Brenner heating mm-hmm. up and you have a team that doesn't necessarily care about conceding goals, they just want to keep pushing forward and scoring. It's, it is a very different atmosphere, very different soil to water, if you will, than, than what Nashville has here. Wait, a team a team that doesn't care whether they give up goals would never sign Matt Miazga and Omar Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Cameron. But Jeff Cameron, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, same thing. Um, yeah, they're the same guy in my mind, honestly. <laughs> well, let's take a trip deep in the heart of Texas. He has to score. 
to keep Rail Salt Lake alive. It's Schmidt, it's Ariel, and it's Austin, whose adventure continues. Their first ever playoff game ends in victory for the penalty spot. That call courtesy of John Champion and uh, ABC. Austin was a man up for most of the second half. They were down two goals, though, uh, mm-hmm. in, after early proceedings, including a penalty. And RSL almost pulled a miracle again. Last year, they beat Seattle in the first round without taking a shot. They took it all the way to a shootout uh, and then went all the way to the conference final. This year, they get to the shootout despite being a man down for a very long time. And yet Austin pulls it out in penalties, as you heard. Tim, how many teams are going to run the other way when Austin gets the when uh, RSL gets the seven seed again next year? <laughs> who's going to be fighting to get the three just to avoid Austin uh, RSL in that first round game? You, I, I think everybody's going to be a little bit afraid of them, but um, realistically, if you if you go out and play your game, you're probably going to do a little bit better than teams have performed against them the past couple of years. I want to give a shout out to Brad Stuver, who was awesome in the shootout, really good. obviously. Yeah but has been great all year. And I think in, in a different world in a different, and you know, if he had emerged for Austin, like he has this year at a different stage of a, of a world cup cycle, is this a guy that we'd be talking about? Maybe that, that third goalkeeper spot that we keep thinking maybe Sean Johnson gets Stuver would probably have every shot that Johnson has had to wow. get that role. Um, he could, you know, probably wouldn't be passing Matt Turner. Uh, inshallah, Matt Turner is number one. But could could he pass Zach Steffen for number two? This is a dude who has had a huge year, and he's done it for a while. And I think it just kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But shout out to Brad Stuver, uh, three or two saves and and one horrifically missed penalty kick in that shootout. So um, shout out to him. But uh, RSL, you're on notice. I'm not. I'm not falling for your tricks if if I have to write a preview that you that that you are in uh, first round next year. Yeah, uh, incidentally, by the way, Stuver um, behind Johnson necessarily in the U.S. men's national team pecking order was behind Johnson in New York City for a very yeah, long time, exactly. which is why he hadn't emerged until last year when he had a pretty good year. You just didn't yeah. notice it because Austin was well off the playoff pace and, and declined throughout the year. And, and this year has certainly had a coming out party along with that team. Austin does advance. I think there are a number of Nashville supporters probably a little chagrined to see Sebastian Driussi score the brace. Uh, in that one, and MVP yet, voting done, baby. Don't matter. It is done exactly. <laughs> so um, it, the, the the court of Twitter opinion uh, not not going <laughs> to influence this one more than it already has. Uh, only one of the first four matches in the playoffs was decided by more than one goal. And again, we're talking right now as NYC and Miami are at halftime. They're scoreless. So that should be close to. It was a stoppage time penalty. Yeah. Also, what's that? They're in the 57th minute now. Ah, so if, if everyone wants to know precisely when we're recording, <laughs> you can reverse engineer that time guys, or we can just tell you it's 7 36 PM. Um, <laughs> but, but every match so far has been close. Even that Montreal Orlando match, that mm-hmm. was a two nil win. It was a Georgia Mihailovic penalty in the yeah. 98th minute when, when that one was pretty much, I was really hoping ended. that they would have the keeper run up and take it. Cause like, even if he misses, there's not enough time to boot it down there. I was so hoping for that. Uh, not the time to troll, probably. Probably the time to get your guy a low stakes, high stakes uh, type of PK to get used to the next, what you might need to do in the next round. But yeah, it would be great. It'd be, or yeah, just, <laughs> just practice. Just have a bunch of guys run up and, you know, and practice and then just stop before they kick it and switch out. I'm sure that'd be legal, not carded multiple times. <laughs> um, the league's parody, though, is on full display. I, I think, you know, Mike Jacobs has told us like the goal every year is just to get to the playoffs, mm-hmm. one seed or seven, the higher the better, but just get there. Because you just never know once you're in that final group who might get sick, 
who might have an off day, who might make a, have, have a good matchup. It, you, you just never know. Yeah. And I think, uh, going way back to the beginning of this episode that it explains part of the reasons why LA galaxy won by not playing like LA galaxy essentially, because teams go out and they play tournament ball essentially, which is different than what you see over the course of the regular season. They're going out to yes, first and foremost, not lose. And when that happens, when the one seed is playing against the the four seed and playing not to lose, when the two seed is playing against the seven seed, not to lose, you're going to see games that maybe are a little bit closer than the, the the talent difference or the quality difference between these teams. And maybe that's not the the greatest uh, selling point to say, oh yeah, these teams go out and show that they that they are that they aren't going to play as well as well as they should. But at the same time, it's excitement and the parody is the excitement. And we see that um, you know, you can have Sebastian Driussi and not win. Uh, the Western Conference. We see that you can have Hani Mukhtar and not have a home game in the Western Conference. <laughs> These are things that make this an exciting league. And I know other leagues around the world have their selling points as well. Uh, Premier League looks really good on television, I think, is their primary one. But, you know, the the excitement and the parody are part of what makes MLS what it is. And they make it kind of our thing. And I'm, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, every club has the potential to be massive. Whereas in the Premier League, it's really only Arsenal. It's the only massive yeah. club in the Premier League. Well, there's only yeah, there's only one massive club in MLS too, and that's Nashville SC. Of course. Uh, shout out, shout out again to Travis. It's been a while since we've shared hey, Travis. <laughs> um, how's it going, Travis? Yep, yeah. I think he asked a Premier League question actually about the uh, it was Liverpool and Man City. Uh, sorry, didn't get didn't get to that one, but but hope <laughs> you're doing well, buddy. Um, final whistle now content recommendations i've got one uh, if you want to feel like I've, I've done this once a month for the whole time we've done this podcast the whole like i want to feel like i'm in england listening to match day instead of in the u.s um as a as a podcast uh in a podcast form the day after matches check out bbc live uh, bbc five live um sports report it's great. It's basically just a recap of, of each of the matches. They go down to the to the field. They interview the managers. They they give their their instant opinion. So it's it's as these things are ending, but then listening to it the next day is kind of fun to hear their their perspective. I think you know, as especially the Premier League has become a global league, it's fun to hear those who are domestic still talk about it with the the years of history they have with it, and and just bring that perspective to it. That's a lot of fun, and they'll go into the championship and into League One. It's Tony Husband's Plymouth Argyle, who are top of the table right now in League One, and he is loving it. Um, <laughs> Check and, out uh, last week's app if you didn't hear. <laughs> exactly, uh, great interview with Tony. Yeah, it's it's just a fun it's a fun way to kind of get a different perspective mm. than just the NBC Sports coverage, which, by the way, I think is superb. I think it is mm. excellent. But uh, to to get that domestic uh, look at, at the games is a lot of fun. I was mowing, or seeding the lawn, and watering the lawn the last couple of days, uh, doing all the aeration stuff, and had a good time listening to that as I was doing that. Yeah, uh, speaking of NBC's uh, coverage of the Premier League, shout out to friends of the pod, the Cooligans, who are on it this weekend. But uh, and, you know, and we, Cheyenne Foster, by the way, both yeah, of them absolutely. on it. We uh we always try to find soccer related things unless unless I'm recommending a book about fossils, which by the time you are listening to this, dear listener, I, it will be accruing late fees on my library, <laughs> on, my, on my library account. But are you saying that it's sticking around in the same place and hardening over days yes, and years it's, and it's, months? It's ossifying. Yes, that's um, your book about fossils is becoming a fossil. It's pretty meta. Yes. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm I'm going outside of soccer even more. Have you heard of this this show Andor? This this Disney Plus show it's a, it takes place in the Star Wars universe. 
Uh, not a Star Wars guy. People, people probably are aware of this. It's it's fine, but I'm not a Star Wars guy. It it's just unrelated to like any of the like canonical Star Wars stories. It's like fun. It's just like a like a heist slash adventure show that happens to take place in space or not even really in space, just on planets that we don't recognize. It's really cool. Stars Diego Luna, who also is the star of rogue one one of the one of the other star wars uh properties different character though but um not the rsl uh starlet diego luna the the spanish actor diego luna uh but yeah it's it's i just started watching it new episodes every wednesday on disney plus but i just started watching it and it's really fun i i like these shows that kind of are uh they're a classic form, but take place in like a sci-fi world more than I like a, a pure sci-fi thing. Like, it's enjoyable. Check it out, folks. Disney Plus. And, and or? or is it and, and or. slash or? Like, it's no, it's just like one adventure. word. That's his name. His name is Cassian Andor. Oh, I thought it was like a choose your own adventure type situation. There. That would be sick and too. Though. Or. Although I must say, the only choose your own adventure uh, piece of media I have watched. Uh, was Bandersnatch on Netflix, and it was terrible. So don't check that out. There you go. An anti-recommendation. Dragging Bandersnatch on the pod. You're on notice, Bandersnatch. They're going to hear it. Watch out. They're coming after us. <laughs> uh, guys, thanks for tolerating us. We're actually going to close with with a unique element here. Um, hopefully doesn't seem too gratuitous, but I, I thought it would be fun to relive some of the moments of the season and and also to give Tony and Jamie some love here. Um, so, um, we talked about Tony, obviously talked with Tony last episode, but Jamie Watson also doing such an incredible job analyzing the comings and goings of the club for the last three years has been there since day one uh, of MLS and, and just incredibly insightful, but also, um, kind. And, uh, so Tony, Jamie, and, and a little bit of radio as well. Um, these are the sounds courtesy of my TV 30 and iHeartRadio of the season. Before we do that, of course, uh, give us a review and a rating uh, on uh, on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, this is the time really to start onboarding people to get them ready for season number four of MLS, season number two at Jodas Park. Maybe folks just bought their season tickets. Yeah. And, and they it's, want to learn it's important coming. to explain to those people that the term hot Tim winter is not weird. <laughs> it's normal. They'll get it. And we're otherwise they'll be to, immediately turned off. We're still trying to convince no. ourselves that it's not weird, but <laughs> you can convince them. Yes, get them in. Normalize this. Normalize hot Tim winter. Hashtag normalize hot Tim winter. Um, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, ML Rose for the sponsorship, and the 440 Sports Network. We'll leave you with the sounds of 2022, courtesy of iHeartRadio and my TV 30. The whistle is sounded, the ball is in play, and Nashville SC's 2022 season is underway. Clearance by Yamar. Edge of the box. Marching back in as Leal. Cross. Back post. Good eye scores! New conference. Same Nashville. Connie Mukhtar skips it wide to the overlapping Washington. A long cross and a pretty with the wheel. Good position. He heads it on frame. He heads it in. And when the night is darkest, the gold shines brightest. 1-0. Nashville SC in Columbus. Randall Leal, it'll be right-footed. Nashville, all of Middle Tennessee, holding its breath. Leal now, right-footed, scores! It is the golden moment on the opening day at Judas Park. And Randall Leal delivers it. Savor those sounds. Sabre, the sound of history. 
Hawkinson in space now. Far elbow, cross for CJ! Meditate on that, Nashville! The first note is the sweetest. Nashville SC have taken a hollowed plot of land steeped in history and written the first chapter of their own. Final score, Nashville SC 2, Real Salt Lake nil. The first win at the castle. Real picking his pocket and now releasing CJ Sapon over the top. Sapon has Mukhtar in the middle. It's Hani Mukhtar, all-star, all goals, Nashville lead. Nashville on the attack again. They wouldn't mind three. Hawkinson chips one to Mukhtar. Uno, dos, tres. Goal, 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 goal. A brace for Mukhtar inside 17 minutes. Nashville SC are scaling to new heights. And here go Nashville. It's Shaq Moore. Shaq Moore has got Mukhtar begging for it. He plays it in. He scores! Well defended from Dave Romney to start it. Dax McCarty on the corner's eye plays this with the outside of the right. Oh, it's sexy from McCarty. Now Shaq Moore is eyeing it up. Shaq Moore knows who he wants on the end of that cross. Here comes the corner kick. Corner kick, Nashville, Mukhtar, second of the day. Flicked on, shut, but Mary goal! The Road Warriors are at it yet again. Teal Bunbury has scored a massive goal in the City of Angels. And the boys in gold have the lead on the Supporter Shield winners. And with three whistles from the referee, Nashville's 2022 regular season has come to a close. One last road masterpiece to close the regular season. This one may be the most impressive. Final score, Nashville SC1. LAFC nil, and they've gone final in Austin as well. And ladies and gentlemen, salute your golden boot winner. Get Hani Mukhtar a shoe to match his gold shirt, as Nashville has the golden boot holder.